0: good photographer, but I love to take pictures. I love to capture, and then I love to put them on my computer because I love to put them on the screensaver and have them pop up, and it just brings back all the memories of the things we've done, the times we've spent with our family, times we've spent with you guys as our family, and and just cool places we've been, beautiful things that we've seen. I love that, but you know, I find that there's sometimes that it doesn't matter um, how good the picture is, um, it can't capture the beauty of what we're seeing. Have you done that, you know? Here in, uh, in big sky country, you know, we have beautiful sunsets and beautiful sunrises sometimes. And I don't know if, if you've ever tried to take a picture of that, but, you know, you, there's some mornings that you see, you know, often on a drive from work or to, to work, I'll see just a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset, and, um, and I'll want to capture a picture, and I'll take a picture. And, you know, when I see it, when I see the sunrise or the sunset, or or maybe you're out at some time and you see that you know the expanse of the sky, and you know you guys that live kind of out and away from town, uh, boy, you can see so much beautiful sky, and it's just huge and majestic and, and gorgeous and, and or the moon, you know, at night, sometimes you'll catch it with just a, some faint clouds going across. It just makes for some some beautiful pictures. Or when it first comes up and and it's got that really orange glow, sometimes, especially if we've had a really windy day, but you know it creates that really beautiful orange glowy huge moon. Um, and you take a picture of that, and it's so exciting to, to get to see, and then you get your picture downloaded on your computer, it's like, wow, it's kind of like no big deal, you know? It, it's really disappointing. You know, you take it, and it's just it's majestic and glorious and huge, and then y- your camera can't capture it. It can't get it. Uh, you know, you can't translate that into, into something that on film that you can get, that you can enjoy as much. Um, one of the things, as I kind of um, as as I prepare and as I as I read through John in particular, is that, you know, God is just huge, and the aspects of His glory and His Majesty, the beauty of His nature, and who He is, is more than I can capture. You know, I I uh, Clay and I come and meet up on on some Saturday mornings, and I, I guess I've said this before here, so forgive me. But um, there's a lot of times that we just walk away after having kind of grappled with some of the things that we've been reading and, and really knowing that we really can't grasp hold of all because it's just too glorious, it's just too majestic. God in His nature and the work that He's done in Jesus Christ, the work that He did on behalf of the Israelites, the love that He's shown is just too big for my fallen human mind to capture. It, it really just is um, because He is just that incredible. He is just that glorious. He just is. Amen? Um, and um, I, I wanted to, we're going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk just a, really quickly about the Gospels this morning and what each one kind of shows, just a little bit difference about God. But I wanted to ask you, I wanted to get your involvement here, very first thing. If you were going to try to capture some aspect, some some part of Jesus' work, or some part of God in his nature, or some piece of, of who Jesus is and, and what he's shown you about who he is, what would you? tell other people, if you were going to record something, that you were going to to try to just capture some peace, to try to pass along to someone, what is it that's really struck you or, or maybe just struck you recently about who God is and about who He's shown you He is or what He's done through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and Jesus' resurrection? Um, Anybody have just some, you don't have to go in some profound philosophical discussion or theological discussion about some aspect of God, but just even some small thing that God's just shown you very recently about who He is, that's just a glorious aspect, just a glorious facet of who He is. Anyone? Ultimately in control. He is sovereign, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing to think about. That's true is love. Oh my goodness. What, what does Paul write to the Ephesians? He says, he says I pray together for you for all, along with all the saints that you may grasp how um, high and deep and wide and long, and I always get those d- dimensions in the wrong places, but is the love of God. And he says, that, he says, I pray for the Spirit's help for you for this because you can't grasp it. It's too big. Uh, that's pretty amazing to ponder, isn't it? What else? He's hope. Yeah, He is our hope. Um, it is not like our hope is in this world, or in our health, or in our wealth, or in our security. Our only hope is that Jesus is coming back. He'll redeem us all. Amen. Who are called according to His name? Come to believe in His name. What else? Yes, ma'am. Mary. Yeah, He knows us intimately. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? This this speck of dirt in all the expanse of the universe He's created, and He cares about how many hairs are on my head. That's pretty amazing. Amazing God, what else? He is truth. Oh my goodness, yeah. We were confused and lost, weren't we? And and only come to the truth by what He's revealed to us. And uh, Jesus Himself says, "I am truth." You want to know truth? It's a person. It's me. Pretty amazing. Someone else. Hope, yes. Holy. I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to say someone already stole yours. Holy, yes. He is holy. Yes. Yes. He is. Uh, he is. Um, um. Uh, what's the word? Maybe I don't know. Indelible. He. He. He's. He can't be. Uh, th- there's no stain on him. There is no flaw in his character. He is perfect and acts perfectly every time and always in love for, toward us. Amazing. What else? Anyone? Yes, sir. call book. Weird. Um. Yeah. It's strange, isn't it? That to to think about this is that God, the creator of the universe, whom I tread on his authority over me by willfully walking into sin, and by the way, continuing to do so even though he saved me, um, still says, calls me his friend. You know, Jesus um, says to his disciples in John in the upper room discourse, he says, I no longer call you my servants, you are my friends. And then also, um, boy, this is fascinating, Clay was just showing me this here a couple weeks ago, but in uh, Job... There's a time where Job is, is having, you know, Job has trouble after trouble after trouble, you know, a huge bad calamity, and time after time. And ultimately, in one of those passages, I can't remember which chapter, it seems like it's maybe it's 17 or 19, but pretty late on, he says, I, he says basically, and, and for, forgive me, I'm terribly paraphrasing here, but he says, I need a friend in heaven. He, he comes to the point where he says, I need an ally there in heaven because otherwise, I have no hope. Someone outside of all of this has to rescue me, and it has to be someone who looks on me with favor and says, I am your friend. That's just incredibly powerful. And Job, without knowing it, because God would reveal to him the, the, um, all of this trouble, Job came to look and to see, really, Jesus Christ, the ally that we have from heaven, just a beautiful, beautiful thing, all revealed because of trouble in his life. How about that? Okay. Anyone else? Let me just—I uh, I, got—I got a couple minutes here before I have to really get started. I want to encourage you, um, as we read through the, the, these chapters every day, don't just do it to check it off. I, I would encourage you to spend as much time in the Word as you sp- uh, as you spend praying, as you spend meditating too. Meditation—we we don't spend a lot of time talking about, but. <coughs> Um, I'll I'll pull this up and talk about it a little bit differently in the commands or or the the recommendations even really from the psalmist that he talks about meditation. Think on these things that we've just talked about. Don't just read about uh, God being sovereign. Ponder it for a while. Don't just think about, well, yes, I I read John 3.16. I understand God's love. No, you don't. (laughs) You you and I don't get it, but, but part of growing in our relationship with God is getting a bigger and bigger and a larger and a larger canvas to capture more of his glory. And you can't do that if you're not spending some time meditating, if you're not spending some time really reading his word and then really thinking about it, really pondering it and saying, what does this really mean? What, what, is, what is the extent of this? What, what does this really mean that, that, that God so loved the world? What does it really mean where Jesus says, I am the bread? What does it really mean that says, I am the gate? What, what does this mean? And spend some time meditation. Just ask the Lord to to, to use that and, and to and to not just you know let it spin up in your head a little bit, but ask Him to push that down into your heart and into your life, so that you can 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 get just get a bigger understanding of who He is and what He's done on our behalf. Uh, listen, I'm thrilled with y'all's response. That's just beautiful. I want to talk really quickly about. Uh, each of the different gospels, because they're also unique, they're also different, and there are a lot of really parallel passages in the first three gospels. John's completely different than any of the rest of them, but in the first three, they're just really unique. and, and um, all this is for a purpose that I'll kind of get to in the end. But uh, you, here, just follow me, just here for just a minute. Matthew is it was intended primarily for a Jewish readership. All right, so the people who are reading are Jews. He's writing it. Um, in a way that he's describing and proving, really, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the one we've been looking for. That's a primary message, really, of Matthew, written from a very, very Jewish perspective. Mark is the opposite. It's written from a perspective that probably written for believers in Rome. And so it's written from a Gentile perspective very much. Mark also Man, he's just very short on words. He just doesn't, he doesn't go into a lot of detail. He just says, here's what happened. Boom, 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 boom. He doesn't spend a lot of time on Jesus' teaching, but it's very action-packed, Mark is. You know, if you like that, you know, just to the point kind of deal, he's really great to read. But over and over again, he really focuses on the miracles that Jesus performed as a sign that he is the Christ, that he is the anointed one of God, the, the servant, uh, the, the uh, servant savior of God. He spends a lot of time about talking about how Jesus was a servant and savior of the world. Luke has written just so beautifully historically. You know, we learned so much about, about Jesus' birth and, and, and his childhood from Luke because Luke, you can tell, he's a doctor, but at the same time, he's a historian. He loves the history, and he starts telling in, in pretty ex- incredible detail about Jesus' birth and how that ties back to some of the Old Testament prophecies. Very detailed and very, uh, very historical. Um, and he focuses, Luke focuses a lot on Jesus' humanity. And for good reason, you know, the, the writer of Hebrews says is that, we're, we're, I'm, he says, uh, I'm p- paraphrasing terribly again, I'm sorry, but he says basically, I'm really glad that Jesus is human because he can identify with me, right? Uh, when I struggle, he knows what that's like. You know, is the one thing that God was lacking is that he never has been human before. He doesn't, he, he didn't know what it's like. Now, it, you know, certainly I wouldn't say that he would know in, in all of his, uh, in all of his uh, um, uh, um, omniscience that he wouldn't, you know, know what it's like, but to have experienced it, to walk in our shoes. Um, Now he's done it through the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we have someone who is set apart as a friend, like what we were talking about, as a friend in heaven who says, I know what it's like to suffer sickness. I know what it's like to suffer rejection. I know what it's like to suffer when people misunderstand you. I I know what that's like. I've felt it myself. I've been there myself. I know what it's like to be tempted by sin. I know what that's like. Although, yeah, there's nothing in Jesus to be tempted. But anyway, uh, that's for another time. John's gospel, completely different than the other three. 90% of what's in John's gospel isn't recorded in the other three. That's pretty incredible. It's, it, it, and, and the time frame, John's written much, much later than the other gospels by 20, 30 years. Um, and uh, so anyway, John had quite a bit of time to think. Maybe even had, you know, probably had the other, other gospels to look at. And he's recorded something from a totally different perspective than the other three, even though each, each of the three is, is very unique. There is no gene- genealogy in John. There is no record of Jesus' birth. There's no record of the transfiguration. There's no record of the temptation of Jesus. There's no record of the appointment of the apostles. There's no, there's no account of, of Jesus' parables. No, Jesus' teaching just not in here, except what he says about hisself, himself. Um, there is no ascension. There's no great uh, commission. But what there is is John records more than any of the other gospel writers the deity of Jesus Christ, the divinity of who he is. He is and who he has always been, even before he came here in the in the flesh. And it starts in the very first part in John, chapter one, verse one. He's referring to Jesus as the Word, and boy, it's just a beautiful picture. And I, I don't have any I don't have enough time to go into it today because I want to cast a really broad view of all of this today, and and we'll come back and talk some details about some. Some of these facets, you know, you uh, you know, you see a a, 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 a beautiful a woman with a a beautiful diamond ring, and you wanna, you know, you see the beauty of it, but really, you can only focus on a little part or a little piece of it at a, at a time, because overall, you know, it, it, you can't take in all the aspects and all the facets of a diamond or or a gem all at one time. It's it's that same way with God. He's too big to capture Him all at once. The best we can do is to just take one facet and really study it in depth and and meditate on it and ask the Lord just to really just push that down into my life. Help me really grasp this better. Broaden my canvas so that I could capture a little better about just how glorious and wonderful you are. And here's the hope is that then my heart will desire you more. Amen? Have I lost you? I'm talking with many words this morning, aren't I? I'm sorry. All right, in John chapter 1, verse 1, he's referring to Jesus as the word. He says, in the beginning, does that sound like any other part of the Bible you know? Seem familiar? It's on, it's on purpose, isn't it? John's writing this on purpose. He knows very well his readers are going to compare this to to Genesis one one. But anyway, um, in the beginning, what happened in the beginning in Genesis chapter one? It's the beginning of the account of creation, how everything came about, and that's what John's going to say here about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if I can just cheat a little bit, he was with God in the beginning. So before anything existed, before there was anything, and he'd go on to talk about um, how Jesus was involved in creation, that everything that exists, created was created by him and through him. Um, and um, uh, he, he would go on and, and, teach and talk to all about. But, but basically what he's saying is that Jesus existed before there was anything, so therefore he was not created. He was with God in the beginning. Who do we know that's like that? There's only one. He's referring to God himself, and he's pointing out Jesus' deity here. He has always existed. This is important because John's going to take this later, and he's going to talk about the life of Jesus before he came to earth and that he existed in eternity before he became Jesus the man and that because he existed beforehand, he held in his hands, he owned, he possessed life, right? The one who existed eternally before has always held and always had life. You and I have not always had it, nor will we always have it, except that Jesus in his gift to mankind not only offers salvation, he also gives eternal life to anyone who would follow him. And you'll read this the first Man, this is all throughout all the book of John as eternal life is talked about. John chapter 3, John chapter 10 especially. Uh, But boy, you'll just read this all throughout. So listen for that as you're reading. Listen for John uh, making the case and saying, listen to what Jesus said. He's telling you, he's saying that I have always had life and I give it to you as a gift when you come to believe in me. And anyone who would come to believe in me what will never perish but have everlasting life. Very important that Jesus existed before creation. Because no one else could offer life, no one else could offer us a resurrection life, right? No other creature on earth could do it, because all creatures are destined to death. Only one has had has held life in his hands, has had it all along, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and He offers it to us. Okay, um, in John chapter one, John chapter one, and I. I hope I've got them all, but I, I, I found six different times where John is trying to describe to us who Jesus is, and he uses six different titles to tell us who Jesus is, to get us so that we can just see, just, he says, just, you know, just, let me just give you this one facet, and I'll give you another facet, and I'll give you another facet, and another facet by all of these titles of who Jesus is. So in John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Jesus is the Word. He also talks about the same thing in verse 14, but we'll turn there in just a moment. Look with me down in John chapter 1, verse uh, nine. <clears throat> then he changes a little bit and he says, now he's referring to Jesus as what? The true light. He says, "The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world." How is it that Jesus is described as the light? Why is it that he's re- described as light? Yeah, He's holy, yes. Cast out darkness. Yeah, that's a that's another great thing, isn't it? Too is that um, it, light and darkness very often in the in the scriptures are, are compared and contrasted. And one of the reasons is light always overcomes darkness. Right? Yeah. Talks about the God's authority and power over powers of darkness. What else? Uh, yeah, I think this is the most important part, Brenda. Yeah, is, is that light in the scripture is illumination of truth. It is, a, it is a revelation of truth so that we might see. And one of the great things about Jesus Christ is he revealed the truth about who God or who God is. He revealed by him coming, he revealed who God is. Before you and I came to Christ, we did not know God. We could see him in a general sense, but it was like it was through a fog. right? But now that we see Jesus Christ come, we have a great revelation. And not just us, but all of creation could come and see this is what God is like. This is what he is. Now, for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, we even get even greater revelation as we get a greater light into our lives as we grow in our life with him. But um, certainly that part. Okay, and then look with me down in verse 14, one of the most beautiful uh, um, uh, verses in the scriptures. The Word, again, he's talking about Jesus, the Word became flesh. So what was he before? Yeah, he was spirit, existed with God as spirit, but he became flesh. This is very important. You know, you have people who believe different things about God, um, especially when they're in some other um, um, kind of cultic Christian religion. Um, Here it says very plainly, the word became flesh, so he was something other before then and made his dwelling among us. That word made his dwelling means literally he tabernacled amongst us. It's the same picture you get from the Old Testament where, where God would come and, and he had his own tent when all the Israelites had their tent. And he, he pitched their tent alongside their tent, and he dwelt and lived with them. He said that they say the same thing about Jesus Christ. He came and he dwelt among us. He tented, he pitched his tent beside us in verse uh, middle of verse 14. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only. So here he's called the word, here he's called the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, I, I, I want to pause on this first just for a moment. Can you imagine, can you get what, G, what John is saying? The one who is involved in creation, the glorious God, that very God came and dwelt with us. And John says, and I got to see it. I was there for the whole thing. I got to take, take part in it. I got to see the glory of this one, the one and only, or the only begotten. I got to see him. He dwelt with us. He lived with us. He ate with us. And he's telling you here, and he's telling me here this morning what we can read about him, what he's revealed to us through the, through John's words, is that it, what he says is that he was glorious. Amen? He was. Is glorious. We got to see, we got to be part of it. We got to to see all that he was doing and we beheld his glory. And one of the reasons why, we'll probably won't get to this first today, but one of the reasons why John's writing, he says, I want you to know who he is. I want you to know what he was like. But I want you to know, John in particular says, I want you to know who he is, that he's always existed. He was involved in creation. And he put on human flesh that he might come and dwell among us and live among us that we might have a greater understanding of who God is and that he might ultimately die as a man and suffer like a man because God couldn't do it without putting on human flesh. He couldn't suffer. He couldn't be sick. He couldn't be rejected. He couldn't have all those things done to him that were done to Jesus Christ and he couldn't have paid the penalty for sins except he willingly put on human flesh to experience all those things and to lay down his life for you and me amen he's glorious and John's saying we beheld it what, what a what a glorious thing what an incredible thing and you and I have this we you know we own this you guys probably like me I, you know I, I, I own I don't know four or five Bibles and then on you version I've got like 16 more most of them in you know languages I don't even speak but anyway uh, pretty cool, and we have it here today, just amazing, the revelation of God. Okay, verse 14, um, so he is the one and only. In verse 29, would you flip over with me to verse 29 of chapter 1 still? So we've read he is the word, he is the light, he is the one and only, and now in verse 29, this is John the Baptist who's talking, and John the Baptist has been doing ministry when Jesus comes on the scene. Uh, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world why did John refer to Jesus as a lamb yeah because in the old testament god had set up that lambs were primarily were the ones who were sacrificed on behalf of what people for their sins and he says this is the lamb of god basically saying that this is the lamb this is the sacrifice for sins that god has brought as though god had any sin to atone for <laughs> all right and then in verse 34 Um, he's continuing to talk. Um, John's continuing to talk at the very end of that paragraph. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. All right, so Son of God. Last thing in verse 49, follow down with me in 49, whenever we see uh, Philip and Nathanael. And um, um, yeah, this is where uh, uh, Jesus talking to Nathanael, said he saw him under a fig tree when Jesus could not have seen him. And Nathanael uh, declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. So, so here in one chapter of John, he's given us six titles of Jesus so that we might get a little bit of a better grasp of who he is. And in all of these titles, they, they convey a little something different. With The Lamb of God talks about him being a sacrifice. The light talks about him being a, the revelation of who God is and what he's like. Um, Being the one and only, the only begotten, talks about his uniqueness, that that he's he's unique. He's different from everything that's been created. He is um, unique and different than all others because he is the glorious one. And in the end, he is, by rights, the king of Israel. Amen? All right, some other interesting things. There are only eight miracles recorded in John. That's very few. I don't know how that compares against the other Gospels, but I think it's, I think it's fewer than any of the rest of them. Six of them are unique to the Gospel. They're not mentioned in the other Gospels. Um, but each one, John is just laying out, and he's just unfolding during the, this whole book, and you'll see it if, you'll, if you're kind of paying attention. He's just unfolding this this revelation of who Jesus Christ is, and he uses the miracles, and he uses the titles, and he uses these I am statements from Jesus just to unfold it all and unpack it all so that people could see that He is God become man to lay down His life for us so that we might have be freed from our sin. So anyway, um, I've, I've left all those passages there. We're going to study some of those in the com- coming weeks. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And over in John chapter 8, um, is where we're going to read today. Let's do this. We'll do this really quickly, I promise. Boy, I kind of went on there a little bit. You know, but this is the hard thing. Uh, can, you, can you imagine that God had called you to sit down and let's say that you had seen or you'd heard, you'd, you'd uh, interviewed people who had been with Jesus and uh, you'd been called by God or the Holy Spirit to come in, and record about his life? Wow. Uh, you know, where do you start? How do you, how do you write down? Something that's just, that's uh, so incredibly, yeah, difficult. John talks about that in chapter 20, but we won't get to that today. Anyway, um, okay, read with me really quickly in John chapter 48, uh, John chapter 8, verse 48, I should say. Did I say that wrong the first time? Sorry. John chapter 8, verse 48. Okay, this is Jesus, and boy, over and over again, we have more of Jesus by his own words telling us who he is uh, in John than any of the the other Gospels. So here's what Jesus says about himself. Okay, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? It wasn't bad enough that he, they were calling him a Samaritan, but a demon-possessed as well. Um, calling a, him a Samaritan, they may have been, that may have just been, they may have been giving him a hard time because it was, they thought he was lax in keeping the law, you know, because he did, you know, ungodly things like healing people on the Sabbath and things like that. Um, and demon possessed. I, I don't know. I think they're just trying to razz him or discredit him. I, I don't know why else they would say that. In verse forty nine. I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus. But I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I am. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Who seeks the glory of the Son? You can say it. Who seeks the glory of the Son? The Father. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. So God the Father seeks glory for the Son, and Jesus' Son seeks glory for the Father, completely inappropriate if they're not both God, but being that they're both God, completely appropriate. Otherwise, it would be idolatry, right? But completely appropriate because they are both God, both just giving and receiving glory from one another just because they're both worthy of it and deserving of it, and and good for you and I because we need to know that God is glorious. This is one of the things that's our problem: is that we don't we in the fall we lost our view of who God is. the 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 hole that we have in our lives is an imperfect. It's no longer a canvas by which we can see God very clearly. It's like the canvas has been broken, and it's only restored when we come to Christ and and get a greater vision of Him. Uh, uh, You with me? Okay. All right. Let's go. Uh, Verse fifty one. Uh, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. That's a big thing for somebody to say, isn't it? And that's what the Pharisees thought. At this time, the the, the Jews exclaimed, at this the Jews exclaimed. Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did all the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, verse 54, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. That would have been fighting words right there, when not Jesus said, I know him. And think about this. Jesus said, I know him. Of course he knows him. Jesus existed with the Father. All the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed before creation. In eternity past for, for, for longer than there are years. They existed together in perfect harmony. There was no sin to separate them. There was no fighting. There was no feud about who was greater. They're just always honoring and glorifying each other. And Jesus says, I know God. Well, yeah, he uniquely knows God, and the Pharisees, of course, thought they knew God, but they were completely confused. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I had said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep and keep his word. Again, Jesus uniquely, of course, was able to keep uh, the Father's word. You and I and everyone, all the other six billion people who have ever lived, unable to keep God's word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Do you remember in, in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 13, 15, uh, Abraham was told by God, "You your offspring will be a blessing to all nations and and he, what what Jesus is saying here is that by faith, Abraham saw Jesus' day now in probably not very good clarity probably not complete understanding about what would happen, but he believed God that what he said was true that his offering would be a ble- or his offspring would be a blessing to the entire earth and and uh, and Jesus says I'm a fulfillment of that promise. Wow, from Genesis chapter 12 and 15. Pretty incredible. It's been a long time coming. Okay. Uh, He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews uh, said to him, and you have seen Abraham. And he says, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Okay. You heard that phrase before, I am, anyone? Yeah. How about early on in Exodus, right, when Moses is someone, when uh, uh, God approaches Moses, and he t- or I'm sorry, really Moses approached God, but anyway, uh, uh, and, and he sends him, to, he says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. You're going to ask for my people to be freed. And he says, who shall I tell them sent me because I can't just go on my own accord. And uh, he says, tell them that I am sent you. Tell him that I am sent you. Basically saying again, here we talked about the life of Jesus and the life of God always being in existence, so that God himself has always been in existence and can always refer to himself in the present tense. That's pretty fascinating to me, but anyway, probably not to many of you. But anyway, um, he, he, he talks about himself always being in existence, being completely separate from all of creation because he always is. The earth had its beginning and the earth will have its end, but God will always be in existence unchanging. Despite all the changes that have occurred on this earth, despite all the generations that have lived, you know, born, lived, and died, despite all that, beside all the changes in society, God always is and is unchanging and is separate from His creation in this, that He is not like us in this. He has always lived and He's always been in existence. Pretty profound stuff, pretty incredible stuff, and that's really good because we needed Him to be that way. What Jesus is saying here by this statement, by saying, I am. And the Jews knew very well what he was saying. He was making himself out to be God. And they thought he was blaspheming for it. So they picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy, for making himself out to be God. It's Jesus just saying to them all, I am eternal. And he's saying, I am one with the Father. We are of like substance, the Father and I. And the Jews couldn't stand it, couldn't see it, completely blind to the truth about what he was saying. Let me, let, me, uh, l- let, me, l- let me say this, but this is so important for us to capture, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later about Jesus being life, but if Jesus hadn't always had eternal life with him, he wouldn't have it to give us. It's one of the things that he has, and in his, in his, um, in his love for us, he willingly shares that with us, that you, when you and I come to him, and you'll read this in John chapter 5 and John chapter 10. When you, when you come to him, he gives you eternal life. He shares with us what we didn't have before. It's a gift to anyone who would believe in him that you and I could have and inherit eternal life. We're going to talk a little bit more about what eternal life is because it's not just living forever. Uh, it's something much, much, much deeper, much greater than all of that. But here's how I'd like to end today is just this. Um, I've shared with you really quickly um, just some really high ideas, and, uh, and, and I, I gave you guys that handout. Let me just encourage you, as you're reading through John, keep that with you. Keep that in your, in your deal, and just just think about what the overall thing that John's trying to get across to you because he's telling you over and over again that you might grasp a little bit better, that you might have a little bit larger canvas to grasp the glory of God and the glory of that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ that put on, who put on flesh uh, so that he might live amongst us. It's a beautiful, amazing picture and a beautiful picture of God's love for us. Amen. Amen. And boy, don't be afraid to meditate. Whatever you read in the morning, whenever you read, get, make sure you have enough time, not just to read it, but to spend some time in prayer. To spend some time in meditation because we need to be fixed. We need to be repaired. We need, need our minds to be transformed and we need to be fixed. And the biggest problem that we have is that we don't have a correct view of God because we can't see Him for all that He is. If we did, we wouldn't have the sin problem. Amen? If we did, we would always want God and we would always want holiness and purity. But because our minds are broken, because our spirits are broken, we continue to, to struggle with sin. So, um, let me just take a moment. We're going to pray together, and then I'll send you guys out. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we hear these things, and boy, I know today was just such a high-level high level teaching today from your Word, but, but it's so very important that we, that we grasp this, that we need our minds renewed, Lord God. We just confess that. We know that. We don't have a right view of you. Um, if we did have a right view of you, Lord, we would always go to you first. If we had a right view of you, we wouldn't we wouldn't lean on, on other things. We wouldn't have kind of these idolatrous hearts that are always looking for the, the approval of men or, or women. Uh, we wouldn't be looking to our own um, our own means, our, our own wealth or money for security. We would always go to you. But because we have this warped view of who you, who you are, Lord God, we are always trying to substitute something for you. So, Lord, we just pray, would you enlarge our canvas? W- would you give us a greater grasp of who you are? And, and Lord, we know in this life that's, that's going to be a never-ending struggle. We're never going to get it fully. But, Father, I know by the transforming work of, of your word and the transforming power of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that you can give us a greater understanding and thereby a greater love for you. And, Lord, that's what we really need. We need a greater desire for you, a greater love for you. And the only way to do that, Lord God, is when we, when we understand you better, not just in our heads, but in our in our hearts and our minds as well. So, Father, we thank you. We praise the Lord God, the Lord Jesus, who is the great I am, who really did exist before Abraham was born and continues to exist and gives us that kind of life when we trust in him. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. Be with your people here at Calvary, Lord God, this week, we pray. Enlarge our canvas. It's in Jesus' great name. Amen. 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 All right, thanks for being here. Love you guys. Y'all have a great week.